Welcome to Reptopod Podcast, where we discuss keeping styles, news, and uncommon species. Your hosts for Reptopod Podcast are Kyle from D20 Exotics and Bryce from Prime Exotics, bringing you awesome content about exotics. Welcome back to Reptopod. Uh, today we have a, a very special guest, uh, Patrick from Graceful Serpents. And I know Patrick because I've bought, I think, four corn snakes from him and a hunter and milk snake from him. And he's local. So that's awesome. Um, but he mostly does boas as well as other species. Um, do you want to tell us what, what species you keep, Patrick? Um, so I keep boas, ball pythons, king snakes, milk snakes, corn snakes, uh, leopard geckos. I keep uh, rainbow jacks and chameleons. This was my first year actually producing those. Um, I keep red eye tree frogs. Um, I feel like there's something I'm missing, <laughs> but I think that's pretty much it right there. I did see those baby chameleons. How many? How many of those babies did you end up getting? So she gave me 12, but I'm down to nine. Um, you know, I had some beginner errors, you know, trial and error. Um, there's not really much information on how to care for those things. Um, the Jacksons and like what to do and what not to do. I never, I don't really know too many people to reach out to them about them. So a lot of my learning was just trial and error. Um, and, you know, unfortunately I lost three of them. One of them was just really weak. Um, but the other two, you know, were trial and error mistakes. Um, but I got nine healthy, thriving. Uh, they're a month old already and doing amazing. That's awesome. I've always strayed away from, from chameleon keeping, especially in Arizona, just because I've always heard they're like harder to keep and Arizona so dry and it's just one of those things. Um, so to be able to produce them in Arizona is awesome. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about the red eye tree frogs a little bit. I personally have red eye tree frogs. So I think it's awesome that you're breeding them. How do you how do you breed them? So I actually just the other day just got my setup up and running. Um, oh, it took me a few days to build my setup. Um, but what I did is most people do just a rain chamber. What I wanted to do was give them a habitat with a rain chamber in there. So what I did is I ran PVC going across the top of my cage. It's 47 inches long. Um, and I got 46 holes drilled into there, really small holes, so it has a, dra- uh, a water system to it. Um, and what I did is I put a pump in there inside the tank, and it has a um, it has like a little basket in there to keep to keep my uh, my tap holes from getting sucked into the pump. So the pump is separated from the open water. So I, I isolated my pump to keep my top post from getting sucked in. And then I added a lot of real plants, um, you know, and put some UVB lights on there to help with the plants and stuff like that to help keep them alive. Um, but everything is real plants. Um, you know, the background is made out of foam, but, you know, it, it's a really, really cool setup. It's in a 55-gallon wide. Um, so, uh, you know, it took some, like, home engineering to do. Um, there's not really much I could find on how to build their enclosures. So I kind of just went off where they're from and did my best to mimic that. Yeah, that's awesome. How many do you have in there right now? I have one male and two females. Awesome. That's awesome. Bryce, did you actually see the picture that he posted on Instagram? 
I did. I, I looked at that. It really good. Yeah, it did look really good. That's awesome. Are you planning on taking the tadpoles out, of course, or are you planning on just keeping them in there? Well, with everything going on, I'm planning on keeping them in there because I built a tank for them to stay in there. Um, yeah. That's why like, I, I like isolated my pump away from the actual, like it's in the water, but it's like in a little, um, uh, it's those little nets that you buy or like little um, baby fish containers you buy to separate the fish from the, the rest of the fish in the fish tank, but you hang it on the side of the tank and it stays in the tank. I basically got one of those and put my pump inside of it, and then the water's like an inch, about a half an inch below it, so the tadpoles can't swim up and over into it, and then the holes are too small for the tadpole to swim through it. So uh, it kind of leaves the rest of the tank just safe and clear for the baby tadpoles. Wow. Yeah, that's very interesting. There's not a lot of people that keep them in there. That, that's awesome, though. Uh, I love to see how big enclosures are. I have mine in a bioactive enclosure right now. And I'm not planning on breeding red-eyed tree frogs. I just love them. But, yeah, that's awesome. So is your enclosure bioactive then, Patrick? Um, I want to know if it's bioactive. I would just say it's water on the bottom, plants in the background, and a UVB light with a raining system. I don't know if you would consider that bioactive or not. I mean, that's pretty, pretty bioactive. Yeah. Um, okay. So... For your rain system, you put PVC with holes drilled into it? Yes, I used a, uh, man, I can't remember the exact size pipe that I used or the PVC, but it's a really small PVC. Um, it's about a half an inch wide. And what I did is I siliconed one side to block it. And then um, I drilled the hole so that, because I couldn't find a cap to put on the end of the PVC pipe. So I just put a silicone in there, let it dry for 24 hours. Uh, drilled my holes and that basically holds the pressure of the water into the tube so the whole the water comes out of the holes and it gives me that rain system that's cool i've actually heard some studies it was a I think it was a few months ago some at-home studies where they were looking at the difference between like mist systems versus just like raindrop systems uh, and they did a similar right. process with that and it was a lot more natural for the species and certain species that required uh like specific water low essentially to breed they were able to successfully do with the drop system versus the misting system so that's right an interesting i mean realistically when you think about it how natural is a misting system like water doesn't typically spray out like that from the sky very often like right um so yeah. it's definitely an interesting interesting concept i like that yeah i have mine on an auto mister right now i want to do what you're doing I just don't have the, the biggest brains when it comes to stuff like that. But I do want to work on a rain dropper. And right now, I mean, the misting is obviously helping. But, yeah, I do want to build something like that eventually. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty fun, man. And, and that you say that, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'm a high school dropout. I'm not the brightest guy in the world either. Um, but I was very intrigued. And I was very determined to give my frogs the best breeding tank I can possibly give them um, because I want to be successful. So everything that I, um, my number one thing is success, you know, like how successful can I be that's going to be so like successful to where it's going to be the proper care for the animals and be able to have the healthiest results from it. 
Um, so what I did is I just watched a couple YouTube videos. I was given a lot of the stuff, to be honest with you. I was given the tank from a good friend um, that had the background built already. I was given the pump. All I had to do was buy the PVC. The screens were tore on top of the cage. I went and replaced the screens. Um, so I just did some like minor um, detail stuff. And then, you know, I just kind of like watched a couple of videos on how they did their, their rain systems. And I was just like, hey, you know what? And I just had my own vision of it. And I was like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And even my wife was like, wow, man, that, that turned out really cool. So, you know, I just get visions and I run with them, you know? <laughs> yeah that's awesome what are you what are you feeding them right now as adults um right now they're they're very picky on the crickets like i i've tried to get them to eat like mealworms super they're they're mostly just stuck on the cricket part of it um but they'll tear crickets up all day <laughs> yep same i've been trying to get mine on super worms or mealworms and stuff and right now it's just crickets as well right yeah they're uh and and my goal is to, because I know a lot of red-eyed tree frogs, unless they're from, like, Josh's tree frogs or, you know, named breeders, uh, a lot of them are imported. Um, so my goal is to be able to have a healthy selection captive bred or a captive bred selection um, to choose from. You know, I want to get into the albinos um, and, you know, add some, you know, more um, you know, cool cooler stuff in there, too. Um, but my thing is to just bring healthy captive bred babies to the to the to the industry you know so people know hey i'm getting a good healthy frog um it was producing captivity the chances of it thriving are next to none you know like it's very incredible ain't got to worry about parasites none of that stuff um, i'm trying to eliminate all that stuff but bring a good healthy frog to the table you know yeah that's awesome I know we could talk about red-eyed tree frogs all day. I personally could. I love them so much. I love all frogs, but especially red-eyed <laughs> right. tree frogs. That was always such a big icon when it comes to amphibians and reptiles. But I think we should move on to the next topic. Absolutely. So for your for your boas, what do you keep your boas in? So my adults, um, I have a lot of my adults in 6 by 2 by 2s Um Anything that's, you know, six and a half, seven feet gets in, put in the bigger cages. Uh, my, my smaller stuff, you know, um, five to six foot stays in four by two by ones. Um, and then, you know, my yearlings to juveniles, they stay in rack systems. That's awesome. And what kind of boas do you breed or do you have a whole majority? Um, so I, I, mainly work with bi um i swear that name changes every year it goes from bci to bi to you know it changes every year they come out with a new scientific name for it um but i may mainly work with bi um but i work with multiple morphs um i'm trying to specialize in the img projects and i'm trying to specialize in the sharp blood projects those have been my two main projects to uh focus on and, uh, you know, those are, those have been my, uh, my main focus and something I have put a lot of my time and effort into, uh, producing and trying to perfect. That's awesome. What about the other cluberts you own? What are the keeping styles for them like? Um, I keep them in rack system as well. Um, they seem to do so much more better in the rack system. They thrive really, really well. I know some people are against it. Um, but I seem to have really great success with my breeding, um, and, you know, just thriving, um, 
And so that's, you know, and I, I try to give them the biggest tubs possible. Like my four foot milk snake, she's in like, she's in a tub the size of my four foot uh, boas are, you know. So she's in a really big freedom breeder rack. Um, I'm not familiar with the size tubs when it comes to the freedom breeders. But I know she's got room to stretch out. She's got plenty of room, and she seems to be thriving perfectly. She just laid me nine eggs last night. That's awesome. Yeah, those look like some some big, healthy eggs, too. Bro, two and a half inches an egg. <laughs> wow. And you said for what? Yeah. Uh, that was my Annery Honduran milk snake. Awesome. That's really cool. She's big. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, she's pushing five foot. How how many snakes would you say you have on your facility? Is there an estimate you could give? Plus to 300 right now. Plus to 300 right now. Wow. Plus to 300. By the time my eggs hatch, um, I, I'll have a little over 300 snakes in the facility. That's awesome. And your goal was to open up a shop, wasn't it? It is, and it still is. That is still my goal. Um, I got some things I got to work through, um, you know, and once I get over those humps in the roads, then uh, my plan definitely next year is to open a pet shop here in Casa Grande. That's awesome. Are you planning on breeding still with that pet shop? With all the- oh, absolutely. Um, breeding is something, and it's, it's, it's funny because growing up, I always wanted to own a pet shop. I never, never would imagine myself being a breeder. Well, four years ago, I got into breeding, and I fell in love with it. I'm absolutely in love with it. Um, it's just nothing more rewarding than putting the time and, um, you know, patience into watching an animal grow for three to four years, producing from it. Um, you know, there's nothing more rewarding to me. Um, but my goal and passion is still to own a pet shop. So I will have a separate area from my, my pet shop that I will be breeding. So I will have another completely different room. Um, I still plan to breed boas and colubrids and my geckos and um, try to breed as much as I can to supply as much as I can from my shop as well. That's awesome. Yeah. So what sets you apart from other keepers? Oh, man. You know, the biggest thing I feel sets me apart is most keepers and breeders, they, they specifically breed or keep one species. Um, you know, when they're dedicated to what they do, ball pythons do ball pythons, boa breeders do boas. Um, I like variety. I like, um, I like challenging myself on how many species I can successfully breed, but only on the species that I'm really passionate about. Um, you know, boas, the colubrids, I have gotten into a very few selection, uh, breeder of ball pythons. Um, and so far, I believe I'm successfully at eight species, uh, to this date. So, wow. And I forgot what geckos are you trying to breed? Leopard geckos. I, I've leopard actually geckos. hatched out, uh, four of them this year. So that's awesome. That, yeah, that's amazing. Are there certain morphs or anything you're doing? Or are you just sticking to normals when it comes to leopard geckos? Um, with the leopard geckos, there's two main projects I'm focusing on more than anything else. And they're the only two projects I'm going to work on is I got a super giant, uh, super sunglow, um, that I've been pairing to my max snow. So I'm trying to make 
super tramper max snows um leopard geckos and then i want i got a female red diamond white and yellow um that i purchased last year and i'm working on getting that into super giant i like i got three and then the clown i'm working on the clown project so obviously i've gotten a handful of cluebirds from you now um but what uh what morphs or projects are you working on for the hondurans and the corn snakes um, so the corn snakes, my most anticipated clutch that I got from my corn snakes this year, I actually have a really like, like I call this dude a fireball. Um, he's just one of the reddest amyl albinos I have seen. Um, and I have a female that is just as red as him. And I paired them together to see how red these babies are going to be. Um, and they're due to hatch actually in a week and a half. Um, so I'm really over the moon to see, um, when I look at the parents and I just see how red they are, I just like, I, like I said, I get these visions and I'm like, all right, let's see how, let's see if I can make this vision a reality, you know, um, and, and see what the results of this vision are going to be. And I can honestly say nine out of 10 times when I get a vision like that and I do a pairing, the results are 10 times better than my vision ever imagined. So I'm really, really excited for those on the corns. And um, that's probably my most exciting one this year. So what you're saying is I need to get some more enclosures set up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, I got 10 eggs from that girl. So I'm really excited to see how those turn out. I don't have room for 10 babies. So I'll buy that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I got into Cluebirds this year a little bit of a couple of Hondurans, but I want to I wanna mainly start breeding Hondurans eventually. And I'm thinking next year, uh, not next season, but the season after. And I might need to go look at your morph market in a second, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> I think you need to look at it after those Hondurans hatch. <laughs> well, yeah. With the situation that's at hand right now, I'm actually getting ready to let go of my morph market because um, it's complicated. It's a long story, but I'm actually buying my business partner out um, and I'm going solo. And there, the morph market's under his name. So um, as of last month, I stopped using it. Um, and I just post a lot of stuff on my Instagram, my Facebook, my TikTok. Um, I'm just using my own personal platforms that I've built um, to post and um, show the animals that I'm producing and working with this year. Yeah, that's how that makes sense. That's and cool. I feel like once you've gotten to that point where you can just post on social media and you just sell stuff that way, I feel like that's that's how you know you made it. Because like all the best breeders I've seen, like I, there was, I'm not going to mention his name or anything, but there was a breeder that I got uh, a couple snakes from, uh, and he sells everything through a story on Instagram. When that story is up, it's easily sold and gone. Wow. Like yeah. it's it's crazy. Every time every time he posts a story, I'm like, yo, how you got some how much? And it's like, <laughs> oh sorry, bro, that sold like three hours ago. I'm like, you posted it four hours ago. Like, yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> and and, yeah. I, and it's amazing because that that is that is true. Um I, I mean I've even posted just litters, animals I wasn't even there's animals I'm not even ready to sell yet from my baby, some of my baby boa litters where people are like, hey, can you put me on a waiting list? I'm like, oh, man, like I don't I, I'm typically not the type to do waiting lists. I'm like, hey, once it's ready, 
um, and it's good to go. It's good to go. Um, but I've have actually sold a few animals that way as well. And what about colubrids in general? Oh man, I have hognose, uh, king snakes, corn snakes, milk snakes. I would say probably close to twenty. Wow. So it is mainly boas then. You would say right. that you have. Yeah, I okay. would say I have over a hundred boas right now. And Indeed. I don't think we talked about Indeed. this, but what but what mor- morphs do you do mainly? I do. I so I work with IMG. I work with Blood. Um, I work with Celtic Key West. Um, I believe I actually produced the world's first purple pastel Key West Sunglow this year in Sharp. Um, I've reached out to numerous people. Um, Nobody's giving me no feedback. Nobody else, not even in Europe, can show me another purple pastel Key West Sunglow in Sharp. Um, I've spent weeks and weeks and weeks before even posting it as a world's first. Um, and nobody can verify that that's been made. Everybody's like, oh, Celtic. I'm like, yeah, I got a Celtic red pastel. Um, I'm looking for a purple pastel Key West, though. Um, and nobody can show me, um, one that has been made. So I believe that that litter was a world's first litter. Um, so it's really exciting. That is. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Or other colubrids you have, um, I know you, you have hog noses, you have MBKs. Um, were you producing any of those this this season? Um, I will. I actually just had my first clutch of Mexican black king snakes ever a uh, week and a half ago, two weeks ago, something around that time frame. Uh, they were the first first clutch of king snakes I ever produced. Um, and it happened to be Mexican black, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I believe I got six or six clutches in my incubator right now between. Corn snakes, king snakes, and milk, and and then my one milk snake clutch. So I got one milk snake clutch, one king snake clutch, and then I believe four um, corn snake clutches. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean Mexican black uh, king snakes are just skyrocketing in popularity. I remember years back when they were like fifty bucks a piece. They were like one of those like, and I quote like trash snakes or trash species, where it's like. Same with, like, file snakes at the time, where they were just imported and sold, and, like, there wasn't really breeding projects, because it was never worth breeding, because you can only sell them for, like, 50 bucks at most, and uh, it just kind of got into that cycle. Then they skyrocketed in popularity for captive bread, and now it's, like, you're hard-pressed to find them for under 300. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, a. and I remember, too, the first time I ever bought one, um, it was like 70 bucks and that was like six years ago. Um, and now I don't see them under 250, you know, 200 is it? Wow. Yeah. That's like all snakes at some, like, uh, like, um, it's either very expensive or very cheap. I know pinstripe ball pythons were like really expensive at first. Right. And then now they're, I mean, they're, I don't know, just one of the normal morphs almost of uh, buying a ball python. Right, yeah, that that's very true. Um, I mean, I got a female pinstripe red that I'm breeding right now um, that I believe even ready to breed, she's worth no more than two two fifty. So, and that's already that's a two thousand gram female pinstripe. So they've you know, and and the market just fluctuates with with different species. Like, I mean, look at corn snakes. Corn snakes were dead for a while, and they came back. 
Um, you know, you look at some of these species that had like been overpopulated, leopard geckos, uh, the corn snakes, uh, you know, you look at some of these species that have been what they called ran down, um, but they're they're making a, a way back. You know, they're finding these new morphs like the uh, palmetto corn snakes. I got me a female out, Amo palmetto. Um, you know, I'm really excited to work with her. I just like that she's white with orange dots. It's it's really cool looking. Um, but I mean, a lot of the species that I have noticed that have, you know, kind of, you know, died off are really making a comeback this year and last year. So, um, it's really exciting to see that. Yeah, that's I awesome. Love, I do love the, the, the concept of like with Morse. When I was first getting into snakes, I, I like, I, I got a ball python and I didn't even know what Morpher was to be honest. I, he probably told me when I bought it, but I was just like, I don't know. It looked cool. It looks orange. It looks cool. I like it. And, and I like posted a picture. Someone's like, "Oh, that's an orange dream," and I'm like, uh, "I don't know. It was just, it's just orange. Like it's cool." <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was it's it's one of those things. It's fun, and morphs have always been like, especially for for corn snakes. I feel like uh, morphs they're so much more variable. Like, I don't know, yeah. me, when I look at all Python morphs, it's like, oh, okay, these five are the same, except for this, like, tiny indicator that tells you <laughs> it's different. Uh, but, like, it feels like corn snake morphs are all pretty widely different. Same with right. Hondurans. Or yeah, the same, same with Hondurans. Well. Hondurans are a little bit different, because you don't really have that many morphs available, realistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and most of them are... are recognized as lines of other morphs not as its own thing um but yeah no hondurans are are really fun i i'm definitely waiting for that clutch to hatch from you yeah i'm excited man uh those are gonna be some the dad is phenomenal i I was told he was vanishing pattern uh hypo extreme um and then the mom is at anry so i know i'll make double hit anry hypos um so I'm really excited to see how those normals come out looking. Yeah, that's awesome. While we're talking, yeah, so Patrick, while we're talking about all these different species that you own, are there any you want to work with in the future? Oh, man. So many. <laughs> um, you know, I do want to uh, branch out. There is a species that I actually want to get and I'm hoping I can get a pair at Anaheim next month when I go to vend. Um, I'm vending at Anaheim. I just got into the August at Pomo- uh, the August Pomona show. Um, and then I'm doing the Tucson show here in Arizona at the end of September. So the next three months, I'll be at shows every month. But my end game at one of those shows is to pick up red albino gopher snakes. Um, I've been wanting those for about three years. I didn't realize those suckers were like $500 a piece, <laughs> um, but they're just so gorgeous. They're so red, and um, I got a thing for red. Um, I, I I just, my logo colors are red and black, um, you know, and uh, the fact of it is that I'm I'm faith-based, and, you know, when I, when I get my life back to Christ, you know, it represents the blood of Christ, and I just fell in love with red once I understood um, that concept of it. Um, and so now when I see these snakes that just have these deep reds, I'm like in love. I'm like, I gotta have that in my collection. Um, and I'm, I'm really chasing the albino, um, the gophers this year. That is, I I need to have a pair 
by the end of this year of those in my collection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Go for snakes in general. I love go for snakes. You know, I like my sassy snakes. <laughs> yeah, those are, uh, they're definitely uh, got an attitude to them, but I love them. They're, they're just yeah. beautiful and they're very unique. They got a personality. We'll that's right. That. That's <laughs> right. Oh, they do. <laughs> vocal. <laughs> a vocal personality. <laughs> so, Patrick, what gets you excited about the reptile hobby? Man, the real question is what don't get me excited about it? Like, everything <laughs> excites me about it, man. The people, um, the opportunities to be able to work with animals, man. Um, my biggest, the biggest thing that excites me with what I'm doing right now is being able to create living art. Um, and that's how I look at it. I got boas that just have stripes and some of the patterns they have. I'm just like, man, and you look at these animals and you're like, that's living art, the colors, the patterns, when it all combines into one, um, you know, one animal like that, you're just like, like, you know, I was a part of producing that. I took two animals, that one that had really good color and one that had really nice pattern. I put it together and I made something with amazing pattern and beautiful color and turned it into one living animal. Um, and it's it's just a living art being able to create um, and and produce the 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 art that comes with breeding the people. Um, I've met I've met so many beautiful people in this industry, man. Um, there's a lot of really good people out here, um, and you know, just being able to just um, have conversations with people um, about the reptiles and uh, genetics. The genetics are amazing. Um, I mean, I can't really find too much that I don't that don't excite me, honestly. So almost every aspect of the community just. Gets me so excited. Like, I just can just get pumped up and talk about it all day. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. What you're saying about how you get these crazy colors from when you braid this and that together, I think the same thing, like, how amazing it is. And even just some of the snakes that are just natural, you know. Uh, for example, at Emerald Tree Boa, I talked about those a lot. And I just think how crazy it is, how they start off as this different color. And I just think, I think that's one of my favorite things as well is just all the craziness on how beautiful these things are and yeah and i mean even the way the hobby's going with the expos are absolutely awesome and i've mentioned it a few times um in the podcast now that expos are absolutely awesome and they're growing so much like yeah look at the expos here in arizona the one the the phoenix one i mean it's packed like you, you gotta like fight your way to get through that expo <laughs> yeah like, it's and it's awesome because you just see everybody you you see the new people that come in that just heard about reptile expos and we're like oh this is kind of interesting let's let's go check this out or you know, you know my kid wants wants a a pet maybe we can go check this out and see that and uh, then you get all the people that are are uh, like veterans uh, veteran keepers and and expo goers that all run into each other and all hang out and and say hi and it's awesome it it's is a, a fun environment too yeah, it is. That Unfortunately, is sure. I am not making it to the South Cali Expos. I was planning on going, but I'm not not going to make it this year. Oh, man. 
Those are the best ones. I, I like the Arizona ones, man, but I'll tell you right now, the Pomona. Um, I went to Anaheim last year. Last year was – I got my LLC last January. Um, last July, we vended at the at the Anaheim one for the very first time. And Colubrids, man. Colubrids is what paid our trip. Colubrids is where, you know, I had boas and ball pythons and leopard geckos and, bro, Colubrids, corn snakes, is what paid our trip. Um, but it was just so awesome to be able to make, you know, um, sales and then be able to meet people and to be able to just be in that type of environment. But the crowds, man, thousands and thousands. I'm talking about in two days, 10,000 people have had to run through Anaheim, if not a little more. And then Pomona, my gosh, that building is bigger than Anaheim. Um and the last time I went there, there had to have been at least 15,000 people um, just in Saturday that had to have ran through there. So, um, I mean, you come to these expos where you get 1,000 or 2,000, maybe three, and then you go to one of those expos where you're dealing with five times the amount of people. I mean, it gets a lot crazier, too. Um, I'm bringing actually three people with me. My wife and one of my friends is coming with me um, just to try to help me manage the tables because it gets so busy just like that, man. Um, you know, and everybody wants to meet you and everybody wants to talk to you. And uh, I'm that type of person where I always try to give everybody the time and day. I don't ever want people to think or feel that I'm too good for anybody um, because there's breeders I feel that way about. I'm like, man, you know, there's just some breeders that make it and then they're like, they won't give you the time and day. And I understand everybody has a busy life. But the one thing I always want to do is make sure that if somebody reaches out to me, I have the time or will willing to make the time to reach back out to them um, or give them that kind of time or day. You know, uh, that's my that's my number one focus to not change who I am or, or change that about me. Yeah, I know we've said this before on the podcast, but one of my favorite things as well is just educating others because it doesn't matter if you've been breeding boas or ball pythons for 50 years even. No one knows at all. We're always changing, and That's right. uh, it's just awesome just reaching out to other breeders or just other people vending there, and just, it doesn't matter if you it's your first snake. Uh, they might know something you don't. I mean, I don't know, but it's just awesome, everyone educating each other. That's right. Always keep that open ear. Always keep that open ear. Exactly. And, and uh, I went to Sacramento Expo last year. And oh, it was a blast! Like it's it's a massive expo. I think it's similar to Pomona um, and Anaheim. They got like food trucks parked out there. Like it's it's a fun time. Everyone just goes hangs out. Eat, like like the the smaller expos, like the ones in Arizona, like there isn't really food there because nobody's spending long enough to eat a meal there. Like right, you know, unless you're vending it, most people are in and out within an hour or two at most. Um, whereas like Sacramento, like they got like eight food trucks there because it's a day activity to go through and actually look at everything, let alone oh, talk to people. Like, like it's, it's a lot. Um, but no, the expos, I, I really wish I can go to the South Cali expos this year, but that just isn't in the cards for me, unfortunately. Right. So with the Pomona show, not that you bring that up, man, like even on the Friday night that I went to set up. To walk from the back to the front took me three minutes. And that's with nobody in my way. So it don't sound like a long time, but if it takes you three to five minutes to walk across a building, imagine how long it's going to take you when there's thousands of people in there. You know, like you said, it turns mm -hmm. into 
it, you're not in and out in five in in an hour or two unless you know what you're going in. You know who you're seeing and and you're out. It takes three to four hours just to get from one side to the other, man. So it's it's you know it's really exciting and it's really um really awesome to be able to get to meet some some pretty big name people that are that are willing to give you the time of day and and you know just to uh you know learn from them you know um i always tell people i i never know enough to feel i i can't learn from somebody you know what i mean i'm always in that stage where cool if i can learn from you what let, let's talk because i'm always i got an ear open always to learn um you know i, I know i'm never gonna know it all so and I'm not going to act like I ever do so. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm planning on going to Repticon in November. And the show, it's in Tampa. And it's not usually, I mean, it's not thousands of people like y'all's. But, I mean, you still have some good breeders. And I still just love going to them, even if I'm not getting anything. It's just amazing being there, like you guys are saying, and just talking to other people. And, yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, the environment, the environment in itself is just amazing. Yeah. Patrick, where can we find you? I can see social media and stuff. Um, you can find me. I got a, a page on Facebook, Graceful Serpents. Um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok. Um, all under Graceful Serpents. So, um, you know, any of those platforms you can find me there. Um, and that's, you know, basically where I'll be at. <laughs> Great. And where can we find you, Kyle? Uh, you can pretty much mostly find me on Instagram at d20exotics. Uh, that's pretty much all I'm on. And what about you, guys? You can find me on Instagram at primeexotics with an X. And also, we have a Discord server where we go live for every episode. And that is called Reptile Palace. And all the links will be in the description below. Also, we do have an Instagram for this podcast. It's the same as the name, Reptipod and you can find all those in the bio thank you guys for listening to today's episode and make sure to listen to the next one